Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Who He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, here we are in our last sermon on the Essentials series. We've been talking a lot about, we've changed our essentials very simply to be the very words of God. That we are to love God, we are to love people, and we are to make disciples. After, I think we've been in, this is our sixth week in this, how many at this point still think it's optional? That's good, that's good, because if you did, we'll have a little remedial session training throughout the week this week, okay? But it is not optional, okay? These are commands from whom? Specifically of the Trinity, which one? Jesus, Jesus, okay? Jesus said, this I am commanding you, I am telling you. It's not just a suggestion, is it? These are commands of God. And so if we are to say we love God, according to Jesus Christ, if we say we love God, then we do what? We obey him. We obey him. We cannot say we love God and not obey him. So if God, if Jesus says these are the things that you're supposed to be doing, we have to do them. We have to act in obedience to God if we are to say that we love God, okay? So we love God. We love people. We make disciples. We love God with all that we have, inside, outside, everything, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We desire for our others the same, same things that we desire for ourselves. As we desire to have a deep 
relationship with our God, so we desire that same deep relationship with those around us. We are called to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. And he's with us to the very end of the age. We immerse ourselves in our identity as people of God. And that's going to be really important as we look at this morning. And we also teach people to be obedient to Christ as we ourselves are called to obedience. All right. Well, last couple weeks, we've talked about the love and know. We've specifically been honing in, like, what is it for us to make disciples? What does that look like? And we said to make disciples, the very first thing we have to do is love. love. Absolutely. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, love is a major, major theme of God's action to us in creating the world and in redeeming the world for Jesus Christ. God loves us. And in so doing, we, since God first loved us while we were sinners, we now, since we've been given the love, we now turn around and love God and love people. And we cannot, we cannot, we cannot, cannot make disciples for Jesus Christ if we don't love the people that we're trying to point towards Jesus Christ. Believers and not yet believers alike. The most egregious thing that we see in the world today is church bodies, people within the church, Christians, that don't love each other. That is absolutely egregious to God. God has called us to love one another and it is the foundation upon which we make disciples. Last week we talked about that we are to know each other. And we are to get to know each other. We're to hear each other's stories. We're to get to understand where each other's at. We love each other and because we love each other, we want to know each other. Oftentimes, and today we're going to talk about speak, oftentimes we'll take speak and move it way in front of love and know, don't we? We hear this much of somebody's story or we've heard about somebody and so we are ready and we are fired up and we're going to go speak and tell people things, but we don't love them, we don't know them. So whose agenda are we actually bringing when we speak when we do that? And that's hard. That's hard because we see things in the world and we're like, man, I, I discern that that person needs to really hear this right now. And, 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 but we don't even know them. We don't know the circumstance situation. And we're just going to go, we're just going to go speak to them. And rather we're being called to love and to know people and then speak into their lives when we love and we know them. Ephesians, as we read this morning, 4, 1 through 15 because of Jesus Christ, because we have one God, one Father, one Lord, one Spirit, one body. Did you get all the ones in that passage? Like, why such repetition? Because as a church body, as a family of God, we're supposed to be unified. And that when we speak to one another, it is supposed to be encouraging for the unity of the body of Christ. We also read in Proverbs. And I'd love for you to turn to Proverbs. I was reading this for my, my time with God. And... And I was like reading in Proverbs 27 and knowing that I was going to be talking about speak this week. And I was like very impressed with how many times Solomon speaks to his sons 
regarding the tongue and the mouth just in one chapter. My dad always used to have this saying for us, how many ears did God give you, son? And I'm like, two. And how many mouths did he give you? One. And I was like, okay. He, and my dad was like, so what do you think the priority there is? What are you supposed to do more? But we struggle with that, don't we? We struggle with listening more than we speaking. And so in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 6, it says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. That when we openly, he's saying here that guess what? It is better for you to receive somebody this, this conversation, this rebuking of your heart so that you might change than saying, guess what? Um, I'm really not going to say anything and we, we, you know, I'm just going to watch you continue to, to spiral down in this bad cascading effect of sin and brokenness in your life and not saying, and, and Proverbs saying, guess what? It is better for someone to speak into that than to not say anything at all. And I think in today's society, we, we've kind of developed this thought process and this pattern that it's better not to say anything. Now understand, for Christians, we're proceeding this with what? Love and knowing the people that we're speaking to them so that when we speak this words of rebuke, now rebuke is a harsh word and some of us feel are squirming like now, right now because it's an uncomfortable word. But when we see someone we love, somebody we're walking with, somebody we know and they're spiraling downward, it is better for us to speak into that with love and with knowledge of that person, what they need to hear and, and what God is placing upon our hearts than rather to say nothing. Because oftentimes to say nothing is to continue to condemn that person. Proverbs says it's better that an open word of rebuke is spoken. Faithful are the words of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. What do we like to hear? Praise. Attaboys. Good job. Well done. Fantastic. You're awesome. We actually, when I was doing some pastoral training a couple years back, we had Steve Timmis from England come over and he did this session. And, and he, he rebuked us a little bit. And it was, it was something we needed to hear. He goes, why in the world in America is everything awesome? <laughs> you know, he said, when my wife cooks me dinner and she goes, well, how was it? I say, it's Okay. He goes, why does everything have to be awesome, super cool, mega, best ever, right? He's like, you guys have set this standard, and, and it's really not that awesome. It's a slice of pizza. <laughs> it, what, like, what's wrong with you guys? And, and it, you know what? We like to hear those wonderful things, but if somebody were to tell us, that's okay, or you know what? Better yet, a faithful friend says to us, man, that's not Okay. Are we willing to receive that? Are we willing to speak that? Or do we just reject people that don't give us a continual funnel of you're awesome, you're fantastic, and things are amazing? According to Proverbs, the greater friend is the friend that speaks into your life, into my life, what I really need to hear. goes on to say in verse 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad. Guys, you may not understand this one as much, but oil and perfume make the heart glad. 
and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. And finally, the one that many of us know, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You ever watch a blade get sharpened? I'm talking about the old ones where they used to pedal the stone. And then they take that blade and they place it upon that stone and sparks fly. Sharpening each other, discipling each other's hearts to Jesus Christ is not going to always come with attaboys, good job, you're doing fantastic. Are our hearts tuned to receive such words? Do we love people enough to speak those kinds of words into each other's lives? In a way that that person is able to understand and receive. You see, if we just love people, I, I just love them, and, and so I'm just going to keep praying for them, and, and, and I see their struggles, but you know, I'll just pray them out of their struggles, but we don't speak. In our lack of speaking, we condemn them, because if we don't speak, then do we truly believe that they, that they can change? Are we just kind of hoping that God's going to do this thing? God calls us to an active role in each other's lives of speaking the truth of God, and God calls others to speak into ours. But what, why do we get ourselves in trouble, into such trouble when we speak into other people? Why do we get ourselves in trouble? Yeah. We lack love. We sometimes get ahead of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Lois, thanks for your confession, Lois. Lois says, my problem a lot. Okay, thank you for confessing this morning. Amen. Hey, it's good. What else? Why else do we get ourselves in trouble when we speak? We speak at them instead of to them. We speak at them. So it's more of a, I don't really care about your heart. I just want to see your action change. We don't let the Holy Spirit lead. Don't let the Holy Spirit lead. You see, before we speak, and, and, and as a pastor, you, 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 you sometimes get this. There's a phrase that it shouldn't cause me fear, but actually does. Whenever somebody comes up to me and says, I've been praying about this for a while, I will honestly tell you, the pucker factor goes up for me. <laughs> because what they're about ready to say are words of rebuke. But they're not done in a manner in which you come to, to love me or know me, but you know what, I've just got this thing to say and I need to say it and I'm going to say it. Brothers and sisters, if you're truly praying about saying something, you've seen somebody do something, enter into a relationship with them. If you say something, words of rebuke, let me tell you something, let me help you out with something. If you speak into somebody's lives that they're, they're, there's something that you've seen that, that you feel like God is calling them to change or do, guess what? You'd better be willing to walk with them through that change. 
make disciples isn't I'm going to lecture you and leave. Make disciples means I'm going to join with you into your life, spend time with you, be with you, and so that together God's glory and your identity might become in Christ and journey with with you. And I recognize that as I'm journeying with you, my junk's going to come out too, and I'm going to need you to speak into my junk, and together our junk's going to rise to the surface, God's going to shine a light on it, redeem our, our lives for his glory and for his purpose. But so often in the church, it was crazy when we redid our constitution, we actually put a lot of thought into the church discipline piece and people got some strong feelings about church discipline. Why? Because it's been abused. It's been by people, by elders and deacons and pastors who instead of entering into somebody's life and walking with them have stood at a distance and shaked their finger. And that's what we know of discipline. That's what we know of rebuke. That's what we know of confrontation. But that's not what the Bible describes of what rebuke and confrontation and discipline looks like. You want to confront me on my sin? Great. Enter into life with me. Spend time with me. Get to know me and journey with me so that the, the God's work may be done through our relationship to redeem my heart. I'm open to that. But I'm not open. To just somebody walking up and saying, you suck. That's not okay, church. That's not a loving word of rebuke. That's not a loving word of confrontation. Before we speak, Matthew 7, 3-5, many of you may be familiar with this passage. It talks about removing some specks. Before we speak... I implore you twice with Lois and with Cindy, we get ahead of the Holy Spirit. Have we spent time in prayer? And I'm going to say another word, and fasting. Before we... Um, and I share this I'm nervous to share this with you because I don't want you to take this in the wrong that I'm looking for the praise of men but I rather want to give you an example of what what God's done in my own life when I was on our sabbatical this this year for two months I told you I went to um, a monastery in Cottonwood, Idaho and no, I'm not converting to Catholicism, but it was a great way to, to get away in silence and solitude. And, and, I, and I fasted for six days while I was there. And I heard God speak into my life in ways that I had not heard him speak. And it was crazy. I actually took some protein powder with me just in case I'd get you know hungry and needed some nourishment and on that Sunday, I went to make myself a protein shake, and I just felt like God was saying to me, Scott, can I be your nourishment? And so I put it away, and I didn't have any. Amen. And God revealed some very difficult things to me. Things that made me weep and cry. It had me on my face before him. Brothers and sisters, when we go to speak into each other's lives, 
we got to love each other enough to spend time in the word and, and in prayer and then fasting before God and saying, God, you know, and, and fasting isn't like I'm, I'm denying myself of, of food or, or of, of, of something else. You can fast in a lot of different ways to, say, to earn brownie points with God. Rather, it is, it is an extended time of being in prayer and supplication to God. Like, I choose not to eat breakfast. Instead of eating breakfast, I'm praying. Instead of eating breakfast, I'm on my knees before God. Like, Lord, I'm looking for you for my spiritual nourishment. And I'm looking for you to speak into my life so that I can might have your wisdom, your insight. Because what this person needs is not my wisdom, is not my insight, it's God's. And that's the, one of the first things that we need to ask ourselves before we start confronting people is have I been in prayer? Is this what God wants for this person or is this being motivated out of selfish emotion? They've made me upset. They've made me angry. They, they oh, I can't believe they're acting that way. They're, they're giving Christians a bad name or we could go on and on. And so that's our motivation to speak rather God changing their heart and us being a conduit. Brothers and sisters, all we want to be is a piece of PVC pipe through which God speaks. That's our role. Our role isn't to be the changer. Our role is to be the conduit through which, conduit through which change takes place. For God is the one that will affect Life change. And that's hard. And it's messy because we think, man, if I could just speak like Solomon and whip out one of those cool Proverbs, this person's going to change. We have got to deal with the sin in our own lives, the hurts in our own lives before we go speak to one another. And I think that's one of the reasons that people are so fearful to have someone confront them in their sin because they've been hurt by people who have not dealt with their own sin first before coming to them. And I think it's very valuable to say, if someone comes to you and wants to start speaking to your life, it's okay to say, I want to receive what you're saying, but I have this question for you. Have you prayed earnestly and fasted on my behalf before speaking this to me? Because if you wouldn't, I would ask that you would. If you truly want to speak in my, I would ask that you go intercede on my behalf and fast so that when you come and speak, you bring the words of God that I desperately need to hear. But quite frankly, I don't need to hear your wisdom. I need to hear from God. And we can say that to one another in love and say, you know, we can talk to each other with love because that's what families do. I talked to my mom yesterday on the phone and I got to get put in this wonderful position where I'm flying out to Xenia this Friday with my family and we go see mom and dad. Well, mom and dad just bought a house in Xenia. Okay. And they're really excited to show us this house. But the purpose of this trip to go see my brother and his kids and spend time with them, you start to see the sticky wicket coming up here. Dad texts me and says, look at my new truck. I would love to pick you up in the new truck. And my text back to my dad was, did you talk to Justin about this? And he goes, oh, that's for you two to work out. And I was like, wrong answer. You guys work that out. We're flying in. We'll be at the airport. We'll arrive at that time. Whoever's there to pick us up, we're going to be so grateful for it. But like, but I got to have those honest conversations because if I don't have that honest conversation and I say, sure, dad, come pick me up. Justin could get hurt. Like I thought I was going to be the priority of the visit here. And we start seeing how many of you all experienced something similar with family. Amen. It's fun, right? 
but we got to have honest conversations so that we can prevent that kind of hurt. Brothers and sisters, we've got to be able to have honest conversations so we prevent each other from spiraling down a place of wickedness and and of leaving God. We've got to be able to have honest conversations with one another so that we can help each other pursue Christ. When we speak, there are three things, and I'd love for you to write these down that I would... We want to remind people of their identity in Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, immersing them in their identity of Christ. When we speak to people, you are a child of God. We begin, like, this is who you are. This is your identity. Your identity isn't your problem. Your identity isn't your sin. Your identity isn't your brokenness. You know, that's one of the things, issues I have with, like, AA and, and even sometimes with Celebrate Recovery. The, the identity of people saying is, I struggle with or I am a boom. As a Christian, we are children of God. Amen. That is our identity. And when we speak into people, we want to remind them, this is who you are. The other thing we want to remind them of is God's promise of forgiveness. There is hope even in this circumstance and situation. God is standing by to forgive you. God is standing by. He wants this to be no longer your story, but something that he redeems in your life. We remind people of God's forgiveness. And finally, we remind them of the Holy Spirit that indwells them. That God is in you. And because God is in you, I know he's working in your heart. And I think that you're, you're already starting to get convicted of some things because the Holy Spirit is working within you. We remind them of this gift. You see how this changes our approach to people? It was to say, God changes the way you live. The way you get up, the way you eat breakfast, the way you go to work, the way you drive, the way you grocery shop, the way you recreate, the way you play. Like God changes all these ways that you live. And that's what's going on here is that when we have our hearts changed by God, God is changing like how we live, how we respond, how we interact, how we live our lives on a daily basis, the very practical things of our lives. So we speak in order to see God impact and affect all these areas. How many feel a little overwhelmed now, a little bit desire to to speak a little less? Like, yeah, we need to slow down. We need to slow down before we speak. We need to desire these things that God would convict our hearts, that God would instrument change in their lives, not just temporary change, but permanent change where they surrender all aspects of their lives to God. Because that's what we want. We want to see Christ rule in reign because the kingdom is present in the lives of the hearts of the believers. So that's the speak portion of this. Remember, it's love, know, speak, and finally do. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh, how long is it going to go now? Listen, Hebrews 10, 5 through 7. I just want to read this for you very quickly. We're going to be diving into Hebrews in in an in-depth way coming up very soon. Dwight's going to kick that off for us next week. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do 
your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Why did Christ come? What was Christ's purpose in coming? Sure. And whose will was that? God the Father's will. Amen. God, God, Jesus Christ, came to act in perfect obedience to the will of the Father. And Jesus tells us in John chapter 15 that he loves the Father and his love for the Father is demonstrated in his obedience to the Father. Brothers and sisters, we are called as a people to help people do life, live life in obedience to the will of God. But not in a religious or moralistic sense. I really want to be very clear on that. It's not about moralism. It's not about religiosity. It's about our hearts changed by God and us living out what is in our hearts because we love God because he first loved us and now we're being obedient to him because we love him. Jesus was obedient to the Father. He loved the Father. And he wanted to put that love on display for all to see by being obedient to the Father. Those two are so closely tied together that if we love God, we obey God. You cannot say you love God if you don't obey God. If you love God, you obey God. And that's what we're called to, as a people of, of Jesus Christ is help people love God and live that love out in their daily living, in their daily lives. So I'm going to use a very short acronym for you that we use for our life groups. It's called DNA. DNA. Okay, y'all know DNA, ribonucleic acids. I probably messed that up. Tabitha's probably back there laughing at me. Um, you know, DNA, for, for the church DNA. So what do we need to do? In order to love God, we have to know God, right? So we got to discover God in his word. So that's the first thing what DNA stands for. And I get this from Soma community churches. They talk about missional communities and an important part of the missional communities is DNA. DNA for our life groups is when the men gather with the men and the women gather with the women. And we discover what the word of God says. We discover what the word of God says about our God. And there are four really important questions that we ask of the text. Who is God? What is he doing? Who am I in light of who God is? And what am I to do in light of what God is doing? Because if our identity is in God, then we should want to understand what our identity and our life is supposed to look like because of who God is and what, he's, what he is doing. So when we get together and we, di we, decide, we discover what God is teaching us through his word. And at this point, you're like, oh, that sounds a lot like a Bible study. It kind of quasi is, except for oftentimes, not often, sometimes in a Bible study, it ends with just kind of like, we're just asking questions of what God's doing and who God is. But sometimes in Bible studies, we don't go that extra step and say, how does this then now change my life? And oftentimes what Bible studies don't do is they don't go another step and say, now I'm going to hold you accountable for living in light of who God is, what he's calling me to change. And now we hold each other accountable in that. So we discover, we study and we ask. The N stands for nurture. We're asking good questions to reveal our hearts. Do we believe God is 
holy, just, righteous, good, great, glorious, gracious, deliverer, rock, redeemer, fortress. Do, like, we can go on. I mean, there's a wonderful video that I like to look up on YouTube, but I just need to be reminded, where they just go through the different names of God. And it goes on for, I think, 10 to 15 minutes. And it just builds and builds, and finally in your revelation, and you're like waiting for the sky to crack and Jesus come back on his white horse. I mean, it's like, this is my God. So this is where we repent and we believe. This is where what we've discovered in the text has revealed in our hearts we have areas of unbelief, we have areas where we have placed something else on the throne of our hearts where we have idolatry. And we repent of that and we believe in who God is and who we're called to be in light of him. And finally, you're like, maybe, wait, we've been talking about do, but we haven't talked about do yet. Well, here's do, act. The A stands for act. Discover where God is calling us to change we live, the way we live in light of our hearts being changed. Notice that is essential. In light of our hearts being changed, our actions change. And this is where we live and obey. You're like, well, I could go home and do this on my own. Why do I need to do this in community? Why do you think you need to do this in community? Mackenzie. Because it's uh, what God is <laughs> Don't forsake the gathering together of the saints, right? We're called to be a community. Good job, Mackenzie. Right? God, I love it. God commanded it. We could end right there. We, could, we really could. But I'm, I'm going to push it a little bit further. Thank you, Mackenzie. Absolutely. God commanded it. What else? Why else do we need to do this in community? It holds you accountable. It holds you accountable. Travis is in my DNA. With Guy Evans, which is really cool because this is expanding even beyond our church family to other church families. We're, we're doing this together. We're, we're, we talk about very real things. In fact, I mean, if you were a, spot, uh, a spider on the wall in, in, in the guy's house when we're having this, you'd be like, I can't believe they're talking about that. Why? Because we need God to reign in every area of our lives. And I need Travis and I need Guy. And Glenn was part of our group for a while. I mean, I need these men holding me accountable so that Christ can rule and reign in every area of my life. But when we don't get together with other believers, we're okay. Because where's our scale? Like, who's, who's looking at our actions and who's, who's like, hey, man, what you're, I know you say you believe this, but right now your actions demonstrate this unbelief. And it's lovingly speaking into it. We need that. We're called to be in a community with one another. We're called to live this way with each other and to open up our hearts to each other. Amen. Church is family. And we can't do this on a Sunday morning. We actually have thought about, well, what if we broke up on Sunday mornings? We had a circle over here and a circle over here, a circle over here, and all the visitors, like, I'm never coming back. Like, no, like, no but we can't, in a room like this, I know a lot of guys that'd be like, I'm not talking, or gals that I'm like, I'm not sharing. There's all these, you need this in. God gave us all these wonderful homes to dwell in and live in, to gather in and to spend time together in and, and, and speak and do together. And I know some of us are afraid to do this, but I'm telling you, I believe this is what God's calling us to do and to be with each other. It's the church holding each other accountable, loving each other, strengthening each other.
speaking to each other's lives. And it's, yes, there's going to be things that I don't want to hear, but I need to hear. And yes, there's going to be things said to me that weren't said in the greatest amount of love. And there's forgiveness for that. And there's a way to work through that. Make disciples. It's scary. There's a quote I have read before, and you're like, what in the world? Why would you bring this quote in here this morning? Because I want to remind you of something. None of us were called to live the safe life. Safety's coming. Safety's with the king forever. Safety's in glory, worshiping him, enthroned him where there's no sin, no death, no brokenness. That's coming. This is not heaven, and this is not home. This is where we get to put God on display in all of life, and it's scary and it's frightening. But God is calling us to be warriors. I remember when I first came out of the military, I had a lot of that language. And people kept telling me, tone it down, tone it down, tone it down, tone it down. Like people are going to start marching out and marching into the service. Like, and in some ways I toned it down too far. You are called to be warriors for God. And some of you are like, I don't have the physical ability to climb a rope. That's not, what, that's not what we're talking about here. Because our older generation in this church body who may have less physical strength have a much greater understanding as they've seen God change their heart and their lives in so many different ways. They've suffered in ways that the younger generation can't even imagine. And we need to hear about how God has brought them through times of suffering and how God has called them to live for him no matter what they're experiencing. We need to hear that. We need to know that. We need to, 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 to sit in that. We're called to be warriors. And one of the worst things that could ever be said, I think, of warriors are, are people that were scared to act. You see, you have the power of God in you to go make disciples. And on your way out this morning, if you look straight across on that landing on the staircase, you're going to see Matthew 28, 19. Because every week, I want you to be reminded of, you are leaving here to go love God, love people, and make disciples. That is why you exist this week. You exist for no other purpose. Let me hear you. Let me make that super clear. You exist for no other purpose Amen. than to love God, love people, and make disciples. Amen. And I can say that on the authority of Jesus Christ because thus saith the Lord. Amen. And it's for all of us. And we're going to do it imperfectly and we're going to need God's grace. And so I want to give you a little inspirational quote that's not from the Bible, but it's from my, one of my favorite presidents. And you may know the quote. You may know it well. For some of you, maybe the first time, and it's super encouraging. Maybe you need to be reminded of this. The quote is from a portion of a speech. And this quote portion is called Man in the Arena. It's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. 
whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best in the end of the triumph, and the best knows in the end triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Teddy Roosevelt. There is no greater thing that we can ever be about than making disciples for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes. Nothing greater. And the beautiful story, end of the story is, guess what? We end up in the ultimate victory and kingdom with our Heavenly Father. Yes. And I would love for every person in here, when we walk through those gates, when Jesus is standing there, he turns to us and he says, well done, my faithful, good and faithful servant. I want us laying our crowns at his feet because this body of believers, this, this group of people here on this morning said, I don't care what it costs. I'm going to love God, love people, and make disciples. I'm all in. I'm all in. I see my job as loving God, loving people, making disciples. I see my retirement, loving God, loving people, making disciples. I see my family life for loving God, loving people, and making disciples. I see the way I drive, the way I shop, the way I bank, the way, the way I do everything in my life as an opportunity to love God, love people, and make disciples. I want it all, all of it to matter for the kingdom's glory. Because that's what we're here for. This is the essentials. Everything else is opportunities to live this way. Let's change. Let's change how we view the world and think about what God's calling us to do. And may it never be said of us that we're cold and timid souls. Let people of Chelan, let, let people known throughout this state and this world, like, hey, you know, those people are anything but cold and timid. They'll love you and they'll pursue you in love. They'll chase you down. They'll come, they, they won't let you alone. They get to know you. They listen to you so well. They care about your needs. And, and man, even when I was telling them the hard things, they, they wouldn't go away. And when they spoke, they spoke with such love and such truth. And then they led me to live a life. They walked with me to live a life that was radically different than I'd ever lived before. May it be said of us that we are a disciple-making people that love God and love people. Father God, thank you. Thank you, Lord God, that you call us to this. That we have mission and we have purpose and we have Hope, Lord God, that every day our feet hit the ground is another day to love God, love people, and make disciples. It's another day to see your glory, your splendor put on display. 
It's another day to reflect the incredible glory of our God. We can live with such hope and such anticipation because Jesus is king and he's king now. He's ruling and he's reigning and he's reigning now. And the hearts and the lives of his children, the church. Lord God, thank you that you call us to be your warriors, to be your farmers, sowing seeds. And farming's hard work. We're going to get blisters, we're going to get cuts, we're going to bleed, we're going to get wounded. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Michael, can I go get the kids? I'm not sure if anybody went down to get the kids yet. So would you get somebody to get the kids down? We want our kids up here when we do communion together, which we're moving into. And while he's doing that, I, want to, I was reading this fascinating article. I still have yet to read it. That, that in today's generation, Generation Z, there are more young women signing up to be nuns than ever before. I find that fascinating to me. And what's interesting is this... <laughs> You know where this article is from? Huffington Post, which is like extremely like, oh, I should be using the left hand. Extremely like that way, right? And, and, but they're talking that these ladies are even more conservative theological, theologically than their counterparts who are the older ladies in the nunnery. Before we think that teaching people holiness, righteousness, the calling of this abundant life of God is unattractive, we're actually seeing the opposite. We're actually seeing a world that is craving for somebody to stand up and say, I want to know what holiness is. I want to know what righteousness is. I want to know what it is to be all in for God. Why is it that the Muslim faith is growing amongst African-American men by leaps and bounds? Because they're, they're calling them to a radical life, to this life of extreme living. You see, God didn't make us to be lukewarm. He made us to be radically all in for him. And we need to be a people that reflect that. Don't be afraid to speak Jesus. Don't be afraid to say, yeah, I'm struggling with this sin, but I want God to rule in my reign in my life. And I want to, see over, I want to overcome this. I want to see his holiness and righteousness in my life. Because I think we're living in a day and age where people are desperate to hear it. And you, you may get your teeth kicked in over it. Praise be to God. 